everybody needs forgiveness. Simon wouldn't confess that. He ignored forgiveness. In contrast, here is the woman who, by her past behavior, knew desperately that she needed forgiveness because of her behavior patterns. Now, what the Bible clearly says is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone needs forgiveness. The rich, the poor, the learned, the ignorant, the whole, we all need forgiveness. Today on the Song Time broadcast, we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. This message from the late, great Dr. Donald Hubbard will talk about the story of the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus and Simon the Pharisee who objected to this level of interaction. Who did Jesus show mercy to and who showed gratitude to Jesus? But first, we're going to be talking a little bit about a place to belong. We're joined by author Barnabas Piper, and the many voices come together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. The Super Bowl is next weekend, so who will you be cheering for to win? Obviously, here in New England, we'll be cheering for the Patriots. And before you say, Adam, I don't think you're following the news. The Patriots aren't in the Super Bowl. That's not going to stop Patriots fans from cheering for them. I happen to be from the Chicago area, and every year I cheer for the Bears, and it's been a long time, even before I was born, that the Bears have been to a Super Bowl. So it, it doesn't mean anything. You can still cheer for the team that you feel like you belong to. And actually, that's what we're going to be talking about today, a sense of belonging, a sense of tribe and people that you fit in with. And obviously, that goes a long way when it comes to fans of a particular football team. Uh, There's a lot of ways that we feel that we belong in certain groups, whether it is our class, our community, or certainly our churches. And that's what we're going to be delving in today as we talk with our author, Barnabas Piper, who wrote a book called Belong. Loving Your Church by Reflecting Christ to One Another. Barnabas, you talk about how everyone has this sense or a need for belonging, and that's something we all have in the very fibers of our being. But if that's true, then why aren't more people flocking to the church to find their sense of belonging in a Christ-centered community? Why is it, especially uh, throughout the United States, that we're seeing a declining in church membership and, and church attendance? I, yeah, that's a great question. I think it's primarily because we we gauge belonging um, based on the wrong standards. We 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 will look for belonging based on common interests, based on a sense of um, a sense of feeling. Man, this just feels great. I feel like I belong here. And, and I, I tried to list a whole bunch of different examples of where people find belonging in pretty genuine ways. But you know, common causes. Um, you know, you give yourself to it. Well, then. The common cause is solved. And then when, what do you have? You know, a team, you're on a high school team. Well, then you graduate. What's your, what's your place of belonging? So every other source of belonging that people find, even if it's good, is temporary. It's going to come to an end. And we, we see the church more as an obligation than as a place of belonging. I think mm-hmm. more instinctively because we fail to recognize design. That's so much of why belonging is supposed to be found in the churches because that's what God made us for. Hmm. And and the truest senses of belonging are when we are living in the reality that God has made us for, walking in the way that he has laid out alongside other people doing the same, which is why the church is not like anything else. It's almost unrecognizable to the world what can be found in the church because it it, it exists entirely in the reality of Christ and, and not by any sort of human standard other than that. 
Mm. I've noticed a, a trend over the past uh, couple of years where um, a lot of people have, they want to belong, they want a relationship. Uh, they seem to want a relationship with me as the pastor, but they don't want a relationship with the rest of the church. Fellowship, it's hard to get them to come to fellowship. It's hard to get them to come on Sunday mornings in general. The idea, uh, we've, we've talked about this a lot within kind of Western civilization, that uh, Christianity is really about a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus. Uh, but you're really saying that that relationship requires this sense of belonging and community, which is which is another layer to that relationship. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's kind of a you need you need both. You need you need the belonging to have the relationship. You need the relationship to have the belonging. But people approach church very differently mm-hmm. than they do any other relationship, um, or, or they approach their relationship with God than they approach any other relationship. You know if. You know, if, if I talk about having a relationship with my wife and there are just a lot of practices that I should do consistently to make that a thriving thing. And I don't think of them as responsibilities, you know, presence, kindness, conversation, listening, humility, serving, um, creating windows of time where we can we can you know go out on dates and enjoy one of those. All of those are just like fundamental things to relationship. They're purposeful, they're intentional, they're committed, they're, they require humility, they require apology. Nobody bats an eye at that. You ask somebody to do a similar kind of thing in the church, like, oh no, church should be easy. It should, like, I should walk in and just like magic pixie dust and I just should, I should just feel like I belong. And there's, that, that's a disconnect from reality. The fact is that belonging requires investment. Mm-hmm. However, the math of it is awesome because if I'm investing that way and so is everyone else, I'm receiving way more than I'm giving. I'm mm. giving everything I've got, but I'm receiving everything everybody else has. And so I come out ahead in this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great equation for, for a sense of belonging. Mm. You're talking about the, the kind of comparisons between family and friends. I think Timothy Keller talks about, you know, you get to, you, you don't get to choose your family, but uh, the contemporary, you know, millennial gets to choose their friends and that's their kind of chosen family. And if we think of the church mm-hmm. as the, the friends, the, the family that we're choosing, we're really kind of missing the concept of what we're actually called into. We're called into an actual family, a blood family yeah. uh, that is above our choosing. Yeah, it's it, the spiritual genetics are in place. But like I, you know, it doesn't even matter if we like each other. And in fact, the the miracle of the work of Christ is that you become friends with people who you have no business being friends with because mm-hmm. of and in Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians two is is maybe the clearest picture of that. Talking about breaking down the dividing wall of hostility, people who could not be more different becoming unified in Christ. Mm-hmm. That. And, and, and the way that the Bible describes it is not, you will become this family. No, it says you are. This is what we are. So we can live according to what we are and discover the wonders of it, or we can deny what we are and try to, and try to redesign what God has already built, and that, that never goes well. We've been talking with Barnabas Piper about his book called Belong, Loving Your Church by Reflecting Christ to One Another. This is such a strong emphasis, especially in our day now, as we need to be encouraging each other to see the church as a place where we can build each other up 
in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that we can help each other to grow. It's more than just a place where we go and we belong. It's a place that we are called to make a, a place of welcoming for everyone to belong. Let's be salt. Let's be light. Let's be a city that's set on a hill and through our good works, glorify our Father in heaven. Uh, This is an excellent resource. Um, If you want to find out more information about it, please give us a call. It's 508-362-7070 or head over to our website at songtime.com. We want to emphasize, especially this weekend, go to your local church, be a part and be active. Don't just be passive, sitting in the pews, standing up when you're told to, singing the songs. Be an active part and are participant in building that community as a place for you to belong, but for others to belong as well. Again, give us a call, 508-362-7070. Well, today we're talking about the same topic, essentially, as we're exploring this, this need to understand our place in the body of Christ. As followers of Jesus, we look to a story in Luke chapter 7, this example of a woman who is washing or anointing the feet of Jesus, and a Pharisee who is looking down his nose at this whole encounter. What does it mean here as Jesus forgives her sins and the responses of both individuals? And where do we find ourselves in this narrative? Here is a closer look at Luke chapter 7 with the late great Dr. Donald Hubbard. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, read prostitute, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, verb tense, kept on kissing his feet, and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is uh, touching him, for she is a sinner. Now let me identify these people right away because the whole passage is going to be a tremendous lesson on forgiveness. It is something about which each of us needs to learn and each of us needs to employ in our lives. Focus, first of all, upon Simon the Pharisee. Let me outline this for you. Maybe there are two things I want you to take a look at. One is his invitation, and the second is an insult. Why in the world did Simon invite Jesus to dine with him, which is supposed to be a special invitation elevating Jesus? could be that because he was so famous that he was a collector of celebrities, Simon was, and so he invited Jesus simply to show his clout in the community that he could issue an invitation and a famous person like Jesus would come and sit at his table. That's one possibility, but I don't think so. I think there is another reason why, and this deals with the insult that Simon gave. When you attended a meal back then, there were three things that were always done to a guest. When your guest enters into your home, you always place a hand on his shoulder and give him an embrace of peace. And then one of your servants would come, remove the sandals from off the guest's feet, wash his feet with water because the roads were dusty, the feet were dirty. And the third thing that was done was always to use a drop of perfume oil. Jesus, later on in his conversation with Simon, says to Simon, you did none of these things. Now, here I must pause for a moment because I think what Simon is doing is that he is 
uh, rebuking Jesus, he's not showing Jesus to any kind of honored guest in his home, even though he has invited Jesus to dine. So when we focus upon Simon the Pharisee, we must also now take a look at number two, the second person in the narrative, and that is the unnamed woman. I wish we knew her name because it is a tremendous lesson. Now she stands on the perimeter. The guests uh, around the table are there to eat, but around in the perimeter of the open courtyard, they are there to listen and to watch. She saw the lack of hospitality that was given to Jesus. And when she saw the rudeness that was extended to Jesus, it broke her heart. And she knelt over the feet of Jesus. And you could almost catch the electricity of the moment. Here is this woman who has such a bad reputation. And here she is weeping and her tears were washing the feet of Jesus. And Simon said within himself, now this man, if he were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. And then Jesus told us a story. It's a simple story, but it's a story with a very powerful meaning. And he put it like this, Simon, there were two men who had an enormous debt to one money lender. One man owed him 500 denarii, large sum of money in that day. The other man owed him 50 denarii. And so when they came to the money lender, the problem was that neither of them had the funds with which to repay. The money lender freely forgave them both. Simon, which one would love him more? Well, Simon had been raised on dollars and cents. As a Pharisee, he believed that if God had blessed him materially, he must be right with God. Oh, so therefore, he said, I suppose that it's the one to whom he forgave 500 denarii. And Jesus said, you've, you've answered right. And he said, this woman has washed my feet with her tears. She has dried my feet with her hair. She has anointed my feet with perfume. You did none of these things for me because she loved much. And what Jesus is doing now is that he's pointing out the fact that this story tells us of the tremendous, and here are three subpoints I want you to get down under the teaching of Jesus. The first is to point out the need for forgiveness. Everybody needs forgiveness. Simon wouldn't confess that. He ignored forgiveness. In contrast, here is the woman who, by her past behavior, knew desperately that she needed forgiveness because of her behavior patterns. Now, what the Bible clearly says is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Everyone needs forgiveness. The rich, the poor, the learned, the ignorant, the whole, we all need forgiveness. That's the need for it. But that brings me to the second point that I want to call to your attention this morning, and that's the cost of forgiveness. So who bore the cost in the illustration that Jesus told. Anybody? The moneylender. So here, Jesus is strictly comparing the moneylender to God himself, who in his own grace forgave the 500 and the 50. Now, this is an old story, but it is important in the scriptures. And that is that God loved us so much that Jesus Christ came to earth, not only to live amongst us, but to die for us. And when he shed his blood on the cross at Calvary, there was an effected and eternal transaction whereby, by God's grace, you and I could be forgiven. Now, Jesus then points to the woman. And thus, the power of forgiveness is seen in the fact that this woman was no longer what she once was. She had come to faith in Jesus. Her sins, 
which are many, Jesus said, are forgiven. Let me tell you this. The moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all of your past was blotted out. Don't bring it with you into your Christian experience. Nothing is held against us. Therefore, we can praise God and thank God, can we not? Amen. You who sit here this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been and you continue to be forgiven. One of the conclusions I've heard people draw from this story of the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus is that Jesus' primary ministry was with the, the sinners. He looked for and sought out uh, the, the worst and the degenerate people of society, and that's who he surrounded himself with, and those are the people that he poured his life into. And uh, Jesus preferred the company of sinners over that of the religious. Well, there's a little bit more nuance in that. We've got to unpack it. But there is a grain of truth there that Jesus surrounded himself by sinners in the sense that everyone that Jesus interacted with was a sinner. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we can see this story back in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus called Levi, who is also called Matthew. He's one of the disciples. And then he went over to Levi's house. Well, this was controversial because Levi was a tax collector and Obviously, all of Levi's friends were tax collectors as well, and this this was really seen as a complete rejection of, of the religious community. Jesus was hanging out with sinners, but not in the sense that it's often used today to justify why we shouldn't be part of a church or we shouldn't be a part of a Christian community. The truth is, Jesus' primary ministry was always in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He would always go to the Christian, the religious community, and he would serve in that community, and then people would follow him out of the synagogue, where he would often do his miracles and, and his primary teaching. But that didn't stop Jesus from going to church, so to speak. He was always in the synagogues on the Sabbath day. That was his primary ministry. But we often find him in scenarios like this, with Levi, the tax collector, surrounded by other tax collectors, but there's a unique component to that story, one that is unpacked throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus spending time with tax collectors, Zacchaeus will be later on in the story. But in this scenario, we see that Jesus is not spending time with the degenerate sinners, the, the worst of the worst. He is spending time with people who are repentant. And we can see this in Jesus' own words as he's confronted by the Pharisees in Luke chapter 5. Jesus responds by saying uh, in verses 31 and 32, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the ministry of Jesus, and one that we should not lose sight of. The fault of Simon the Pharisee in the story with the woman who washed and anointed Jesus' feet is that he didn't see himself as needing forgiveness. And certainly he wasn't grateful for the work of Christ because he did not consider the need for salvation in his own life. He considered himself saved by his own works, his own righteousness. But this woman, as well as Levi and the other Pharisees, they recognized that they could not save themselves. They recognized that they needed forgiveness. But they also changed and transformed their lives. They didn't remain in sin. Jesus called them out of sin. 
and called them to repentance. And in that, he provided for them salvation. He provided for them the forgiveness that they need. And the proper response in all of this, the true fruit of repentance, is that they were thankful. They showed their gratitude, their love for Jesus by denying themselves, taking up the cross daily, and following him. I hope that this has encouraged you, and if it has, I hope that you will be an encouragement to us as well. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse. It is uh, Luke 9, 23 and 24. It says, and these are the words of Jesus, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it.